Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So today we're in week two of our Battles of the Bible series here at Connect. Uh, Last week we looked at the Battle of the Red Sea, this prototypical battle of of the Bible, uh, where Yahweh fought for Israel, and they remained silent and still, and God parted the waters and allowed them to walk through on dry ground. So today, as we said earlier, we catch up with Israel 40 years later as they are, are poised to enter the promised land. Now, because of their persistent sin, uh, this, this moment has been delayed for quite a long time. But now, the time has come. And they stand on the banks of the Jordan River, looking across the water to the promised land. And guess how they get across? The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. And those flowing down were completely cut off. And all Israel was passing over on dry land until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Isn't that incredible? As an encore to his victory on behalf of Israel at the Red Sea, God, 40 years later, kicks off Israel's conquest of the promised land by the very same miracle. The book of Joshua says that when the kings of the land of Canaan heard about this, it says this, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So that's our context for today's battle. The people and the army of Israel now stand encamped on the plains of Jericho. So let's get into our third reading for the day from Joshua Chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord, or Yahweh, remember when you see the Lord in all caps in your English Bible, the, the name Yahweh is there, said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now, Jericho was a very important city. It was an oasis in the middle of the desert, and it was strategically located to control all of the roads kind of going into the land. Now, God here tells the people that, uh, that what's going to happen is that he really has already given the city into their hands, this very, very important city, but he has kind of some strange instructions here. Now, for as important as Jericho was, it really wasn't all that big. It's actually estimated that Jericho was probably only about 9 to 12 acres in area, meaning that, that its circumference was probably only about half a mile, maybe up to a mile or something like that, which explains how Israel could fairly easily circle the city seven times on the seventh day. But while Jericho wasn't very large in area, it had this double wall that made the city practically impregnable. 
So the, the outer wall with the stone and the, the mud brick was probably over 30 feet tall. And then there's this incline that goes up to the second wall. And uh, both of these walls are several meters thick. And uh, there's no human way to get into the city as, as far as you can tell. And because of this, this natural spring that Jericho had in the middle of the city and the plentiful stores of food they would have had just after harvest time, which is when the book of Joshua tells us this happened, Jericho was well prepared for a very lengthy siege. And a lengthy siege was just what was called for in a situation like this. Now, in our battle for last week, as Israel stood against the Red Sea, it was very unclear what they should do. But in this case, it was actually very clear what they should do. In ancient warfare, when an army sought to take a walled city, there were several methods that would be used. Now, you would use a battering ram to try to knock down the wall or the city gate. Or you'd use siege ladders to try to climb over the walls. Or just maybe a little bit later in history after this, you would actually build siege towers and put them up against the city wall. Then quite a bit later on in history, um, and also used in warfare, also at uh, pumpkin farms, you would have trebuchets. Of course, if all of that failed, you would build this giant wooden horse and pretend it was a gift, and you would station your soldiers inside. One thing you would certainly not do is walk around the city in a circle. But that's exactly what God commands Israel to do. Here at the beginning of Joshua chapter 6, God gives Joshua his marching orders, literally. And these orders make it clear that God's army does not win by military might or clever tactics or horses and chariots. God's army wins by God's strength alone. So God sends Israel, not on this lengthy siege, but to march around the city for a week, telling Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's already a done deal. And so God orders Israel to follow these instructions, not as a military exercise, but a spiritual one to demonstrate their trust in him by following a course which, in the eyes of the world, seems absolutely absurd. God wants to build up the faith of Israel before he tears down the walls of Jericho. And in sharing this account with you today, he is inviting you to ask the question, what will I do when God's instructions don't make sense? Because sometimes they just don't right? Jesus' call to take up your cross and follow him and everything that entails is countercultural and counterintuitive. So you are going to have plenty of reasons to ask this question. And when you do, I'd suggest there are two things you must do to answer it. First, make sure that they really are God's instructions. Unless you have the commander of the army of Yahweh standing in front of you in the flesh, get deep into God's word to make sure that God's really saying what you think he's saying. 
As we shared earlier in our service, in the words of Joshua 1, God's desire is for us to make his word a daily and nightly priority. Doing that will make it clear what God's instructions are. And when God's instructions are clear, follow them to a T in faith. No matter what. (laughs) That's precisely what Joshua did. And, And Joshua does it very precisely indeed. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. So Joshua follows God's commands meticulously, As Moses had before him. At the Red Sea, Yahweh had commanded Moses to tell the people, go forward, when there there was no forward, when it made no sense for them to do so. Here, Yahweh again tells his people to go forward when it makes no sense to do so. But Joshua and the priests and the warriors of Israel go forward anyway in faith. And just like at the Red Sea, Yahweh goes with them. According to God's command, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a physical sign of God's presence with the people, was carried around the city with the army. And did you notice where it was in the procession? Right smack dab at the center, with armed men walking before the Ark and the rear guard walking behind it. It's as if God is saying to us today, no matter what you are going through, No matter what long slog or seemingly pointless march you may find yourself on, I am with you, right in the middle of it all. But you may be wondering, what did all of this look like from Jericho's perspective? Now, at first we know that they were utterly terrified, but maybe after a couple days, they they started to be more kind of like this. Now, we don't know for sure what Jericho, what the people of Jericho were like. Uh, We didn't, at least, until in 1997, archaeologists discovered some original footage from the battle itself. And as I share that with you now, I want to apologize in advance for the song that will now be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Your 
So aside from the smoking gun evidence that the people of Jericho were actually French, um, (laughs) I think it's fair to say that they were probably, at some point, starting to feel a little bit better about things as time went on, uh, likely taunting the Israelites, maybe throwing slushies or, uh, or like rocks or something like that down on their heads. And through all of this, Joshua commanded Israel to be silent, not to fight back, not to scream back, not to taunt back. Be silent. Does that sound familiar? For six days, Israel did all this. But then on day seven, everything changed. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. So the scriptures tell us that on the last day, the return of Jesus will be announced with a trumpet. And at that time... All evil will be put to a complete and eternal end. Well, for Israel on that day, it was the sound of a trumpet that announced that it was time to break their silence and to shout and take the city. So, uh, Doug, if you can come forward. Um, Nancy Zillig was kind enough to let me borrow this, this shofar, this ram's horn uh, that she got in Israel. And I have asked Doug Lamb, a very skilled trumpet player, uh, to play this for us. So. Very nice. Can we give him a round of applause? Thank you very much, Doug. Appreciate that. He asked me before, do you want like a 30 to 40 second blast? And I said, no, Tom Ressler will probably say that my sermon is getting a little too long. So, but yeah, I also had a, a good pun. I was going to say show far, show good, but um, I decided not to say that. So, so thank you. It, it was, it was at that sound that Israel shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. So at this sound, Joshua commands them with this kind of our theme verse for today. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The Lord has given you the city. Jericho was a gift given by grace through faith. So the people of Israel gave a mighty shout. And the walls, what did they do? came a-tumbling down. 
And when the walls came a tumbling down, Israel went up into the city. But this is the point where this kind of nice, fun Sunday school Bible story takes a terrible turn. At Joshua's command, they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. What do we do with this? One thing that we can't do with this is kind of make it PC or or try to soften it somehow. We certainly can't ignore it. It seems barbaric, right, to our modern sensibilities. It's even led some, like Richard Dawkins and others, to charge God and his people with genocide. So let's talk about this for a second. The Hebrew word that's used here in Joshua to describe how the people were to treat Jericho and its inhabitants is cherem, which refers to something that is devoted completely to the Lord, an offering. And so in this case, it's an offering where, where the, every living thing is killed and, and all the gold and the silver is, is given to the Lord in his treasury. Now, in ordering God's people to destroy Jericho, God was both meeting out judgment and granting salvation. First, the destruction of Jericho was a judgment on the people of the land for their wicked ways. Their religion, for example, involved ritual prostitution and child sacrifice. These were not innocent victims. These were violent, amoral, and evil people. God had told Abraham that his descendants would come back and and would take the land as punishment for the inhabitants' iniquity. God is a just God. And there are consequences for thumbing your nose at him. Now, God mercifully delays those consequences, giving plenty of time for repentance. But when they come, they are severe and harsh, and they are final. And so like the flood in the time of Noah, the conquest of Jericho and all of Canaan was meant to wipe out the evil that had completely poisoned the land. And so that's how in all of this, there is also salvation to be found. In not sparing the Canaanites, God was sparing the Israelites from their deadly influence. We saw this last week with the complete destruction of Pharaoh and his army at the Red Sea. We saw there that God makes a complete end of his people's enemies. And in fact, this is an excellent way to understand what God is doing at the cross. Jesus Having become our sin is considered cherem, devoted to the Lord for destruction. And out of his destruction comes our salvation. So salvation is seen in our text in some interesting ways today. First, through the destruction of Jericho. And then second, what's about to happen is through the saving of a prostitute. And so the reading goes on. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute 
and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So in the 27 verses of Joshua chapter 6, Rahab the prostitute is mentioned on three separate occasions. So clearly she is key to understanding what's happening here in this text. Because she helped the Israelite spies earlier, she's told to, to hang a scarlet cord outside her door, kind of reminiscent of the blood of the Passover lamb. And by this scarlet cord, she and her entire house, even though that house is built in the wall that is destroyed, are saved. Rahab lives while Jericho dies. And why does she live? Our epistle lesson said, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. By faith. It is said of her and, and her family that Joshua saved her alive. The Hebrew name Joshua actually literally means Yahweh saves. And here is a great example of Yahweh saving through Joshua. But an even greater example will come from another Joshua, Yeshua of Nazareth, who we usually call by his Greek name, Jesus. Jesus also means Yahweh saves John Chrysostom wrote in the 5th century, Joshua, the son of Nun, who says, let the prostitute live, prefigured the Lord Jesus, who says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors go into the kingdom of heaven before you. How fitting then that this Jesus meets a tax collector named Zacchaeus, who just so happens to be from Jericho. How fitting that this Jesus changes Zacchaeus' life completely and in so doing, saves it eternally. In the midst of Jericho's destruction, Rahab the prostitute makes it out alive, rescued by God. She is made a part of the people of Israel, and what's even more amazing, she is made a part of the genealogy of Jesus himself. This is absolutely incredible. And so as we read this account of what happened so long ago at Jericho, we should not be shocked that our holy God wholly destroys evil. We should be shocked that our holy God would save a prostitute. And we should be shocked that our holy God would save sinners like us. We should see in ourselves Rahab and Zacchaeus, broken sinners from Jericho or from wherever else, grafted into the people of God by the scarlet blood of Jesus, despite who we were before he came to save us. And save us he has by tearing down everything that we were before, stripping us entirely of the title of prostitute or tax collector or liar or adulterer or drunkard, and giving us a new name, forgiven child of the Most High. Here's how the account of Jericho wraps up. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord, be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. 
Now, this curse of Joshua is fulfilled a little bit over 500 years later in Israel's history when someone does rebuild Jericho. And it teaches us that we should never rebuild what God tears down. But just because we shouldn't doesn't mean that God can't. And God has. Jesus, his son, the new and holy temple, was torn down for our sake. But Yahweh raised him back up again. At the cost of his firstborn son, God has rebuilt you into a holy temple where his spirit dwells. So people of God, as you go out from here today, shout with your mouths and with your lives. For the Lord has given you the heavenly city, New Jerusalem. It is yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, Israel now dwells in the promised land. They have their own king, but new enemies have emerged. Who will respond to the challenge when a Philistine giant mocks Israel and their God? Hope you can join us next week for David and Goliath. In the meantime, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.